Well, good morning. Great to be with you all this morning. As Jack said, open your Bible to Revelation 22. If I didn't meet you yet, my name is Ken DeLage, and it's my joy to serve as the lead pastor here. And it is fun, it's joyful to go through the book of Revelation with all of you, which we are finishing up quickly. We're in the last chapter. Well, they were shivering as they walked. The man was weary and tired with calloused hands, sore shoulders, heavy heart. The woman was bent against the wind, holding the newborn in her arms, trying to shield him from the wind. Big brother, only four, was trying to seek shelter in dad's legs, walking just in front of dad. Their clothing was of leather, but it was wearing out. Their food supply was meager. The amount of work they had to do before winter set in far surpassed the time that they had to do it. Coming over the rise of the hill, they saw their small mud hut in the distance and turned to make a straight path towards it with heads bowed and faces downcast. They had to get out of the wind. It wasn't really the wind that bothered them, though. It was the memory. Because it hadn't always been like this. And they could remember. They could remember a world before mud huts. And before empty stomachs. And before calloused hands. And weary shoulders. And, and hurting feet. They could remember the garden. And they knew what it was like. The fruit on those trees was amazing. And they were never hungry. Back then, their hearts were at peace. Back then, their work was a joy. Back then, they never argued with each other. Back then, they had walked with God. Back then. And so for perhaps the thousandth time, guilt and shame bit at their conscience for what they had lost. They had eaten the fruit of the tree that God had commanded not to. And before the fruit got to their stomach, the guilt and shame had wrapped itself around their soul. And they had stood before God as God in justice issued curses on the serpent, curses on the ground upon the earth itself of thorns and decay, cursing the woman with pain in childbearing, cursing the man with painful futility in his work. They had stood before God as he had responded in mercy, not killing them, despite saying that the day they eat of it, they would surely die. And then God himself making leather clothing to cover their shame and their guilt. Then suddenly they weren't standing before God anymore. They were walking out of the garden. Out of the garden. Away from God. Out of paradise. Out of Eden. Away from the tree of life. Well, arriving at their mud dwelling, 
Cain ran on ahead, eager to play with his rocks. Ducking down inside, mom and dad followed into the cramped dwelling. Paradise lost. What burden that must have been to the two that knew it. Paradise lost. We, living some thousands of years later, are so accustomed to living in the world where paradise is lost that we struggle with something different, and that is to wonder if it really existed. To wonder if, if such a thing really was. Was it, a, was it a fantasy? Is it a nursery rhyme or a, a children's tale? We wonder if such a place ever was. And we wonder if such a place ever will be again. This morning we are in the last chapter of our Bible. How about that for a unique spot to be? Revelation 22. Considering the last few verses that actually talk about the new heaven and the new earth. The eternal dwelling place of God and man. The paradise. Paradise. That God has promised for all his people at the end of time. I have to warn you as we start. This passage, unlike many we've looked at in the book of Revelation, is not particularly hard to get our minds around. It's relatively clear as to what it's saying. It's not hard to interpret. It's hard to believe. And you need to be on guard as we talk about this. And ask yourself as we go along. Do I believe this? And am I building my life as though this were actually true? Because it's easy for us to hide, I'll say it this way, to hide behind our creed. We, we, we know how we would answer the question if the pastor asked, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in this eternal paradise? We, we know what we would say. I, I'm asking you to look behind that what do you believe? Because I'll tell you, doubt can rob us of any sense of hope about this. That's one place to look. Do you hope in this act actively? If not, may the Lord give us strength to believe His promises and to believe His word this morning. Because these are incredibly sweet promises that would lead to joyful believers. So let us look to God's word. I'm going to be reading Revelation 22. I'm going to read the first six verses, so follow along in your Bible as I, as I read. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So Lord, we come before you and ask, Lord, I, I ask that, that you would keep me from error as I teach. Everything not of, of you would fall to the ground, but Lord, that, that I would preach your word faithfully. Speak, O Lord, we want to hear. And Lord, for each of us, myself included, root out doubt and unbelief and replace it with a firm, glad faith in these wonderful promises, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So, paradise restored. Two points this morning. Two points as we go along. The first, the garden of paradise. The garden of paradise. We're, we're seeing now the same city we've been looking at for the past several weeks. If you've been here, you know that we've We've examined this city over and over, but now we see that there's a garden aspect to this city. This is a garden city. There's a river that flows through the middle of the city with a street on either side of the river. Can you picture that? A river flowing down with a street on either side. It makes me think of two places I haven't been, but I've seen pictures. Makes me think of Austin, Texas, with this beautiful kind of river walk that they have, with little arched bridges going across, and it's all lit up on either side with people walking, talking, just lively. Makes me think of Venice, Italy. Same thing with these canals going down, with the, the buildings on either side, with the walkways on either side, and again, with the little arched bridges going, going across. Those, no doubt, are rather poor pictures of what this will be like. This, this river flowing through the middle. It's, it's not a polluted river like you'd often find in our cities. You know, don't drink the water. This, this river, it says, is the water of life, bright as crystal. It's the river of life. So back in the, the garden, back in the first garden, at the beginning of time, it too had a river. In fact, it had four rivers that fed that original garden. I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis 2. You can flip there if you want, but uh, you don't need to. I'm going to read Genesis 2, uh, beginning in verse 8. Again, I find it kind of neat. Here we are on the last page of our Bible. Turn with me, if you would, to the first page of your Bible. Uh, We should note, these are the bookends. That's what's happening here. Genesis 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. There he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Here was a beautiful garden with all kinds of trees good for food. Before sin, before the curse, before evil, handmade by God for humans to dwell in. What kind of a place must this have been? God's kind design for them. It was watered by these four rivers so that there was no fear of drought. No worry that the, the trees from which they ate would ever run out of fruit. There would be no famine in this place. And the two human rulers of the garden would have all of their needs met. There were also two, tra- two trees named in the Garden of Eden, and one of them makes its appearance in the book of Revelation, as we had read in verse 2. On either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This just sparks my imagination as I read this. First of all, how is a tree on either side of the river. I don't know how that works. How do you have the tree of life on both sides of the river? That, 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 that blows my mind. How many trees of life are there? Does it mean to say one that's like connected under the river or something? How does this, how does this happen? But here we've got this beautiful tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. So, so you know, in the fall, we went apple picking. I love going apple picking as a family. It's what you do in the fall because apples come out in the fall. You can't go apple picking right now. Sorry, because apple trees don't bear fruit this time of year, right? This is not just the picture of a tree that bears fruit all year long. It's the picture of a tree that bears a different fruit every month. What delight is this? What creativity of God's? What generosity of God's as God's people can experience the garden renewed with different fruits off of this tree of life every, every month. It, the picture that I see is, is maybe of the Potomac. Much more likely you've been there than the first two that I mentioned. The Potomac River, the little, the little walkway during cherry blossom time. And the cherry blossoms are just overhead and the petals are, are falling down and it just lines that, that river. Here's the tree of life on either side. The generosity of God to his people. Now I, I want to notice that, that the tree of life makes its appearance in two places. At the beginning and at the end. We are made to see that there is a bookend happening to all of scripture right here. This is perhaps the clearest indication that God intends for us to see paradise restored. We're back to the starting place. All of the, the wickedness and the evil and the curse that, that came from sin, all of that is being undone, rolled back, renewed in this new, new garden city. So the tree of life remakes its, makes its appearance again, but I notice the other tree doesn't. Remember there were two trees in the first garden? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the one that God had put the, the, the fence around. He had said, 
you, you may not eat of that. On the day that you eat of that, you will surely die. That was the tree from which they ate. And the fruit of that tree has been poisoning our race ever since. Every evil, every failure, every cause of heartache grew off of that tree. And that tree is not in the new garden. So not only are we bookending this of paradise restored, I think we can argue very strongly, the second paradise is better. is isn't just paradise restored, it's paradise perfected. This is how it should be. Because God's people are going to dwell here. Just like God's people dwelt in the first garden, God's people are going to dwell in the second garden. But there will be no temptation. There will be no sin. There will be no second fall. There will be no wandering off into evil. There will not be a serpent crawling in that new garden. Friends, we will be so like Christ as to be unable to sin. We simply will never want that again. There will be no source of temptation. And I think we could say, if there were, it would be no temptation. For God will have perfected His people. He will dwell with us there. Paradise perfected. Lord, speed the day. So we're seeing that while there was a garden at the beginning, there is a garden at the end. Of course, in the beginning, in that first garden, sin did enter. The man and the woman fell, and God pronounced his curse. Now, now when I talk about God's curse, I'm not, I'm not talking about sin. The curse was God's response to sin. I'm also not just talking about human death which is the wages of that sin. I'm talking about the, the word God spoke, particularly over the earth itself. Do you know that God cursed the world, as in the planet, beyond the planet, the, 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 the universe that is, was cursed by God when the people who were to govern it sinned and fell into sin. And, and, and we could see that back in the book of Genesis the thorns and futility that began to grow, the rot and the decay. I, I was looking outside earlier today. Every tree you see out there will die. Every animal born will die. Given enough time, every star in the heavens will go dark. The, the, the creation groans under this curse. We all live under this curse and experience the effects. The, the, the pyramids of Egypt stand as a kind of testimony that aside from them apparently, nothing lasts thousands of years. They're the exception that proves the rule. Nothing lasts. Friends, if, if all there is is what's under this sun and is this world, what hopelessness. There is nothing you will do that will be remembered in a thousand years. Nothing you build that will not rot and decay. Nothing lasts here. That's the curse 
that is upon this world. But we're not talking about this world. We're talking about the, the new heaven and the new earth. See, the, the, the great news about the first heaven and the first earth going away is that the curse goes with them. And the new earth knows nothing of it. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. Nothing. So that, that would include people who are doing sin or who are sinful. And that includes the, the world itself. There is nothing in this new world that is accursed. So uh, we have to do some imagining here, okay? If you're going to hope in this, let's, let's, let's hope in this. So, uh, what is it like to live in a world that has nothing of the curse? It's, it's hard for us to, to even take our first halting steps at imagining such a thing. But let's just say you were to build a house. Do you understand that you would build that house and it would never grow old? It would never need a fresh coat of paint. You would never need to replace the windows. You would never have a leaky pipe. You would never have the house burned down. For all eternity, it would stand as a testimony to the work you did in building that house. That's amazing. The, the arched bridges. Are there going to be arched bridges over the river of life? They will never decay. They don't need engineering inspections or some kind of fresh paint job or something like that. Gardens, once planted, will need no weeding. Fences, once built, will need no mending. Art, once painted, will need no preserving. Taxes, once complete, never mind. No, there's not going to be taxes. Sorry, getting, a, getting ahead of myself. <laughs> no taxes. This is heaven we're talking about. <laughs> the curse cannot reach those golden shores. Everything done there will last. And not only that, we will be there in resurrected bodies that do not grow old, that do not know disease. Seems to me it puts the best of young and old together. You get the, the wisdom of being older in bodies that are younger. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan right there. We all like that plan. The relationships we will enjoy always warm, always open, always close, never strained, never stressed, never distant, never drifting. If you want to imagine relationships there, your most distant relationship there will be closer than your closest relationship here. That's stunning. It's hard to get my, my head around. Lord, speed the day. All right, point number one, the garden of paradise. Garden of paradise. Number two, the activity of paradise. The activity of paradise. What will we do in that final garden? Well, we can again compare it to the first garden. What did they do? God placed them in the garden to keep the garden. He put the man and the woman there to take dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the creatures 
upon the earth. They were to tend the garden and to extend the perfection of that garden to all of creation. They were made in God's image to represent God upon the earth, to represent the invisible God to the visible world. And they were to reign and to extend His reign. They weren't quite king and queen, for God alone is king, but they were His regents operating in His name over His world, bearing His image. It's called the creation mandate. It was given to men and women at the beginning and we dropped the ball quickly with that. But that gets restored too in the new heaven and the new earth. Look at verse 5 with me. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, I, I don't know about you as you read this, but... You could almost, if you read it quickly, I bet, you could even make the mistake that I, I think. I think it's going to say, and he will reign forever and ever. And praise God, he will reign forever and ever. That's true. <laughs> praise the Lord, he will reign on his throne forever and ever. But that's not what this says. It says, they will reign forever and ever. It's the same they that's been the they throughout this passage it's his servants in verse 3 who will worship him it is those in verse 4 who will see his face and again whose na his name will be on their foreheads they will reign forever and ever the creation mandate of the first creation will be issued again over the new creation and the sons of adam and daughters of eve will reign under christ in the name of Christ, for Christ, for all time. What is that all about? I think we're called to exercise our imagination a bit as we think of these things. What kinds of ways could, could God's people be extending His glory in the new creation? I think of the gifts he gives us now. And maybe there'll be new ones. I don't think these go away. So, so some will make music. And it will be sweeter and better and livelier and happier than the best bluegrass you've ever heard. Or pick your genre. But bluegrass is happy. It'll be far better with instruments old and new, with voices perfected, making music unto the king. I think some will make art, sculpting, and painting, and creating, and worshiping the creator through the, the acts of creating that they do unto him. I think some will explore mountains. I'm going to do some of that. I love the mountains. I think some will explore the stars as in visiting 
and traveling and declaring the glory of God throughout all of the new heaven and the new earth. Perhaps some will build settlements on planets. Perhaps some will care for animals. I love, I love this section right here because as I say these different things, different people smile. When I said art, certain among you smiled. When I said music, other people smiled. When I said animals, still other people smiled because the Lord has made us to extend His dominion in this world in small and imperfect ways over these very things. And it's not getting less in the new world. It's getting more. It's getting better. Some will prepare rich feasts for others to enjoy. Some will write poetry to the king. Listen, if my imagination errs in these things, it errs only in falling short of the glory that it will be to extend the reign of Christ over all of the new creation. There it will. Have you ever had happy work? I hope so. Even in this world, even under the curse, we can have happy work. You know that work that just consumes you? It just stops being work because, oh, the creative process or the doing or the completing or whatever it is, there's a, there's a reward to work. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful here in this world. Oh, what it's going to be like to work unto the Lord there without the thorns, without the sweat, without the aching back, without the sinful stuff that pushes in on us. All to His glory. What a day. Lord, speed the day. Paradise will involve happy work. And paradise will involve worship. Work and worship. Those are the two activities. Although, I don't really see where the one ends and the other begins, to be honest. I think that the creation of art unto his name. Uh, how is that not worship? But let's, let's turn from work to worship for just a minute. It's called out specifically in the passage. But again, we can remember in Eden's garden that this is what they did, right? Like throughout the day, they took dominion of the garden. But every evening, they walked with the Lord. They walked with God each evening. And so again here, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. Here is heaven in a phrase. Here is paradise in shorthand. They will see His face. Christians have long called this the beautific vision. The beautific vision. It, it's a big word. You don't have to remember it. I, I say it to say that for thousands of years, Christians have been talking about the beautific vision as the high point of heaven. Heaven in a phrase. Beautific vision means the vision or the sight which makes me happy. We will see his face. We will know him. 
This will not be boring. Okay? <laughs> this will not be boring. This will be the opposite of boring. Listen, I know, like if I talk to just the young people here for a second, it's hard to pay attention to the preacher. Because as you sit here, you think of other things. Right? You know? Video games are fun. I'm not playing video games right now. I'm listening to this guy. I'm kind of hungry. Need to use the bathroom. I'd like to run around outside. I wonder what the weather's like right now. It's hard to stay focused. There will be nothing boring about seeing God. Everything that you fight with right now to pay attention, <laughs> every pleasure, every joy, every source of excitement, every happiness, every delightful thing that you've ever seen or thought or heard or experienced or read or watched points to Him. Everything good points to Him. He is pleasure beyond pleasure and delight beyond delight and happiness beyond happiness. There is no boredom to be found. Want to know boredom? Move away from God. That's boring. Want to know endless, increasing excitement and awe? Move towards Him. And we will see His face. And should I remind you that He's infinite? He's infinite. So, so... You will never run out of God to get to know. No matter how much of God you come to know. And the coming to know Him will be the happiest thing you ever do. No matter how much of that you do, you will never run out of God to continue to get to know. You would more quickly travel to every star than you would to fully come to know His glory. You would more quickly drink dry every ocean on the planet than to drink in a tenth of His goodness. You, you, would, you would more rapidly read every book that's ever been written in every language at every time. Every book. Can you picture how long that would take? Read every book that's ever been written and, and in that time you would not have read a fraction of the happy thoughts that are in the mind of God. Everything you've ever seen in this universe came from His mind. And He didn't exhaust Himself in making it. He is a fountain of delights, and to look upon Him will be to dive in. And diving in, we will discover that this fountain has no bottom and knows no shore. It goes on and on. And so forever, we will be exploring His goodness. And forever, we will be looking upon His beauty. And forever, we will be tasting to see His kindness. Forever, we'll be enjoying His presence. Forever, we'll be delighting in His creativity. Forever, we'll be marveling at His glory. Oh, the first day, the first moment of seeing His face. Lord, speed the day for that moment. Oh, that first moment. If... If He didn't sustain us by His power in that first moment, I think, poof. It just, poof. 
it's overloaded. Shock. We're just down on the ground, wriggling around. Can't take any more in. God's going to have to empower us to endure the joy and the excitement and the wonder of the first moment of seeing his face. But here's the thing. Before you can even think about getting over that first moment, you know what's going to happen? The second moment. And it's going to be that much better than the first. And so again, he's going to sustain you through it. And before you can recover and start breathing again after the second moment, the third will hit far better than the second, followed by the fourth, and then the fifth, and then all through time. Time without end. Enjoyment without end. God without end. Paradise is knowing Him. And knowing Him, we will worship and worship and worship. I think every song we will sing could be new. Because at every moment we will learn something new to sing about. About this glorious God of ours. <laughs> the activity of paradise will be beyond our best dreams. The garden of paradise, the place, will be beyond our best dreams. And now here's the point this morning. It's no dream. That's what we need to walk away with. That's the main point. It's no dream. It's not a fantasy. It's not a nursery rhyme. It's not a children's story or a fairy tale. This is coming reality. May I read for you again verse 6, which concludes this entire section about the new earth. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. There is no variability in God's plan. He's not rolling dice to see if maybe this will be how it turns out. No, these things must soon take place because he has said that they will soon take place. He has revealed his plans ahead of time. And now, they must soon take place. And, friends, these words are trustworthy and true. What are trustworthy words? These are words that you should put your trust in. They are worthy of your trust. What are true words? These are words that are worthy of your belief. Worthy of you clinging to and saying, yes, that's right, and that's true. Friends, everything we've said, it's all true. It's all true. It's all true. And it must soon take place. We should be the happiest people in the world. Doubt not the words of God. Doubt not the promises of God. Friend, take your soul to task. Doubt not what He says. Has He promised these things? 
Has he not said, this is what is to come? Then heed not your doubts, heed rather the promises of God. Here is what we build our lives on. The world, if we're doing this right, the world will call us foolish. To live for that day? Forgo sin for that? Friends, it is not foolishness to believe the very highest promises of God. It is foolish to hear the promises of God and disbelieve. It is foolish to hear the promises of God and forget. So has God not spoken? Indeed he has. His words are trustworthy. And they are true. So may we lean with all of our weight and all of our hope. All of our thoughts and all of our lives upon the great and precious promises of God. And may God enable us to do so for His glory and for our happiness. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Oh Lord, we look forward to seeing you. Coming out of a passage like this, we are, we are aware of just streaming glory <laughs> coming through your word. And we're also aware of just how sluggish our hearts are to believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, would you, would you stir up within us as only your Holy Spirit can. Oh, we look to your spirit. We ask for your spirit. Spirit, fill us afresh that we might live in light of eternity. Not in light of what our eyes see, but in light of the solid, steadfast, unchanging promises of God. Oh, how we need you to do this within us. We ask for your spirit as we continue to worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen.